0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Please be seated. You know, winter, well, it's in the air, at least in the mornings the last week. In the mornings we get up, it's cool. By the evening, though, it's more fall-like. But the church year has started anew. Advent is a season and a time of preparation and expectation for the coming celebration of our Lord's Nativity. And for the final coming of Christ in power and glory. We remember the day when hope was born into our world. But all too often our culture gets kind of stuck there. In our country and around much of the world. When I was a kid Christmas decorations you wouldn't see until after Thanksgiving. December the 1st. Then it was Halloween. And this year I bet if you you were driving back from the shore Labor Day weekend. You would have seen Walmart and Target selling Christmas decorations already then. The reason why it's so popular is simple. Christmas fills us with the hope of joy and redemption, of the longing for family and home. It permeates the stories we like to hear and tell this time of year. The almost angel comes and keeps George Bailey from jumping off that bridge, reminding him that he has many people that love him. The spirits come to Scrooge to bring redemption. They bring redemption to the most selfish man in all of Europe. Or for something a little bit more modern, maybe, the country girl comes home for Christmas from the big city and ends up realizing she doesn't want to marry the city guy. It should be that hot new guy that's moved into her hometown. Which I think describes all of the Hallmark Channel Christmas movies I've seen over the last few years. But for the church... We're also looking forward to that day when our great hope is realized and Christ returns and we're reunited with the saints. The word that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now Isaiah's come out of nowhere in chapter 1. He's come out of nowhere and begins to prophesy about what God's going to do. That famous call that we read about in scripture doesn't happen until chapter 6. But he calls out the leaders of Israel for their sin. He tells them what's going to happen if they keep doing what they're going to do. And God wants his people to war- heed his warnings. He wants it to be like this morning. When I looked out, when I came out the door this morning and I looked to the east, all I could see was red right in the clouds. We know that red right in the morning is a sailor's warning, right? Or how about a little bit later in the winter? When we look to the west and we feel those winds blowing and all we see are those dark clouds full of snow coming. We know that it's time to start picking up and bring things inside. To batten down the hatches. Now we know the story. They don't listen. But after all of this he gives his people hope. And what will come from his judgment is this. Redemption. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now on the one hand, part of this has already happened. Jesus came. Jesus came and he redeemed us. We learned the ways of God from him. And metaphorically or with an analogy there, Mount Zion is the highest place in the world because that's what Jesus came to. But we also look ahead and hope to the time where God will judge between the nations and arbitrate for many peoples. They'll beat their short swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will, lift up sword, will not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Powerful image of the weapons of war being converted to peaceful purposes is one that resonates. We see three prophets all preaching around the same time Isaiah, Joel, and Michael. They're all using this same imagery in the messages they received from God that one day, under his rule, we'll no longer need weapons. One day, under his protection, we'll no longer have to train people to go to war. Today you can go to New York City and see a gift, the statue of a man beating his sword into a plowshare right outside the U.N. And it's a gift from a self devoured atheist country, but they cannot escape the imagery and the power of hope of what the Lord has promised. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. David here is writing of how he feels when it comes time to go and to worship God, the joy that should spring up in our steps and sprung up in his soul. About this psalm, the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon said, David wrote it for the people to sing at the time of their going up to the Holy Feast Jerusalem. It's the third in the series and appears to be suitable to be sung when the people had entered the gates and their feet stood within the city a song to sing when it's time to worship. For there are thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Jerusalem is just not a city for worship, though. It's also a capital, the city where the king rules from, where David and his sons ruled for generations. And it's one where one of his descendants will reign again. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. For my brethren and companions' sake, I pray for your prosperity. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek to do you good. While Isaiah is looking for the coming of the whole world to God's holy mountain, David's only concern with God's people here. David's calling on those coming to worship to pray for the capital, for peace, for prosperity, for their neighbors. Why? Because God's house is here, and where the Lord is, is holy. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it's now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. Paul has just told the Romans that, owe oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And then Paul says, The night is far gone and the day is near. Let us lay aside then the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness or debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Because Jesus is coming, but it's still night out, Paul says to put on the armor of light and avoid giving in to the temptation to party like the day of his return is never coming. Paul said that 20, 25, 30 years after Jesus had left the first time. Here we are 2,000 years later, and that desire is still there. Instead, we put on Christ and don't gratify our own desires. But with the quarreling and jealousy, if you continue to read in Romans, part of that desire that we have is to put down those weaker members of the body who have different opinions than we do. And as Paul says, no, love them, defer to them, don't injure their conscience. The hope that Paul has that the body of Christ can put aside its many minor differences and work together in proclaiming the gospel and showing God's love. Jesus says, but that day and the hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus has been speaking on the Mount of Olives. This is after Palm Sunday, and after an extended discussion with the various lawyers and leaders who have been trying to trick him. Questions like, alright Jesus, tell us. Do we pay our taxes, or do we not pay our taxes? Trying to trick him into making an answer where he either seems to be a traitor to Caesar or a traitor to God. And as they're leaving, his disciples ask him once they're away from the crowds, All right, Jesus, you're talking about judgment. When is all this going to happen? Jesus gives a long reply, and about halfway through, he tells them that it will come. But not even he knows exactly when, only the Father does. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He goes on to tell his followers that the things continue as they always do, until the end. It happened that way in Noah's day. Everything continued as normal, right? Except for the crazy guy over there building the large boat in his backyard. But that went on for years, for decades. They tuned it out. They must have ignored the parade of animals going to the ark. And then it all seemed to happen suddenly. One day Noah and his family, after all those years of preparation, they went into the ark And the rains came, and everyone else was carried away. But Jesus said, understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. He would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an unexpected hour. The reality is this. If we knew when Jesus was returning, it would be like when our parents return home from a trip. Did any of you guys have this experience growing up? We were teenagers, right? Me and my two brothers, my sister. And this was well before cell phones. So we weren't getting a call five minutes out. Right? You stop, Mom stops at the last gas station and calls us and says, Okay, we'll be home in two or three hours. And that's our cue. Our cue to start cleaning the house. Now, we're not a sitcom stars; We weren't having giant parties. But we did kind of ignore doing everything while Mom and Dad were away, right? The house is a mess. We may have gone out and got pizza and not eaten whatever we were supposed to have eaten. Now it's time to work hard and to make it look, well, maybe not perfect, but at least acceptable. For many people, knowing that they have a short amount of time to do something suddenly motivates them to finish. Ben Witherington, the New Testament scholar, says this. Here, as is always the case, God reveals enough about the future to give us hope but not so much that we do not have to live and to walk by faith day after day. That is what we have to do, seeing the hope of Christ's return, of the day when the whole church will be reunited and going to worship together, when God will reign and no one will ever need a weapon or to learn warfare again. But while we're here and we're waiting, we have to live each day by faith. And while we're living each day by faith, we have to love each other, And love everyone until his return, until that great hope is fulfilled. Amen.